You have the chance to go around with him and to hear what he has to say. And maybe you get the chance to see some of the amazing things he did. Maybe you get a chance to see healing. Maybe you get a chance to see somebody rescued in some kind of way from things that have been really troubling them. And you see maybe the crowds coming as well. Can you imagine the impact that would have on you if you could spend a day with Jesus? Or imagine you could spend a week with Jesus. That would be incredible, wouldn't it? Just think about that. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. You wake up on Thursday morning and you think, what's it going to be today? A week with Jesus. That would be life transforming for you, wouldn't it? You couldn't fail but to be impressed by Jesus. You couldn't fail to be impressed, but to be impressed by his teaching, by the amazing things that he did, by just who he was. There would have been something about him that made you think, I think there's something of God about Jesus. I have never met anybody like this person. It's as if God were here himself in the person of Jesus Christ. And at the end of that week, you'd be a completely different person, wouldn't you? Here's the question. How is it that those who knew Jesus the best who'd known him the longest, those who had grown up with him, those who had done the equivalent of kicking a ball around the streets of Nazareth, in fact, those who'd been members of his own family, how is it that they were amongst the most skeptical and sneering and dismissive of Jesus Because if you look at the end of chapter 13 in verse 53, Jesus replays the compliment that repays the compliment that he's experienced at the end of chapter 12. At the end of chapter 12, Jesus' family turn up. And at the end of chapter 13, he goes back to Nazareth to his hometown. And look at what happens. Just read this through with me, would you? In verse 53, when Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed, but not in a good way. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. And then Jesus gives this proverbial expression. He says people get, a prophet gets recognition in all kinds of places except when he comes home. A prophet is not without honor except in his own home. And notice the word home. Amongst his own people and his own home. Here's the question, in case you forgot. How is it that those who knew Jesus the best were amongst the most dismissive of him? Well, 
Maybe the public Jesus and the private Jesus were different. Happens, doesn't it? Some people who are really powerful presences, who have amazing gifts, who do the most extraordinary things, who are able to captivate people by their words or by their actions, by their presence. And then you hear the stories of what they're like at home or what they're like in private or what they've done behind the scenes. And it's a different story. Maybe it was like that with Jesus Maybe his family could say, well, you think he's like that because that's what you see when he teaches and when he does these amazing things. But let me tell you what it was like growing up with him. Let me tell you what it was like when he was at school. Let me tell you what he was like on the streets of Nazareth when we spent time together and hung out. Maybe that's the reason. Maybe the public Jesus is different from the private Jesus, in which case Jesus is not worth following, is he? Is he? Because incredible as he is, in terms of the things that he does and he says, he's no different from all kinds of other failed leaders who are impressive in public and in private are something completely different. There is a profound inconsistency So maybe that's it. The public Jesus and the private Jesus are quite different. Or maybe it's something else. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's something that affects every single one of us. Maybe there is a question here for each of us to address that's much darker and much more disturbing. Because you see, there were people who were willing to give up homes, family, jobs, money, security to follow Jesus. Notice Jesus talks about them here. Look at in verse 11. He turns to his disciples who just asked him a question and he says, the, secrets, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you but not to them. He's talking to those who've given up homes, family, jobs, security as I say, to follow Jesus because they've been impressed by him. But he said they're different. People like members of his family, for example, people who were from his hometown, the people who've been out in the previous chapters as we've read about them, who reject Jesus and who even want to kill him. See, there are people who respond to Jesus and say, yes, we are impressed by him, impressed enough as we've got to know him over the weeks and months to think that he's worth following and give their life to him. So maybe there's something else going on here. So I want to ask the question this morning, what's the difference between you, those who believe, those who follow Jesus, and them, those who are skeptical, dismissive, or who even want to kill him? What's the difference between you and them. What's the difference between the insiders and the outsiders? And a key insight comes at the end of chapter 12. 
Chapter 12, his family come to him. And they say to him, your family have come. I'm not sure they've come for particularly positive reasons, but anyway, they've come. And Jesus turns to the people he's teaching, those who are his followers. And he raises the question about who family is. And look at what he says there in verse 50. Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. That's an amazing statement, isn't it? They're my physical family. And he's going to go back to them and to his hometown in chapter next, at the end of the chapter of chapter 13. But those who do, do the will of my Father in heaven, you're my family. You're my mother. You're my brother. You're my sister. You are family. Notice the key thing, those who do the will of my Father in heaven, is those who respond. They are family. The response of obedience. That's the difference between being an insider and an outsider. That's the difference between being part of the family of Jesus and being outside of the family of Jesus. That's the difference that we find between those who accept and those who reject Jesus. It's nothing to do with the length of time that you've spent with him. It's nothing to do with that. It's about something else. And the story of this sower who sows the seeds gives us an insight into what that is. Notice there are four, four soils, four actions, uh, four, four things going on here described by four soils. So there's the seed that lies on the path and gets snatched up by the birds, there's the seed that has the shallow earth, and so it doesn't survive, even though it springs up very quickly. There's the seed that's choked by the weeds and the thorns, and then there's the good soil. And what we see in this story that Jesus tells, this parable, are the lessons about what it means to be the difference between an insider and an outsider, and it affects every single one of us because, you see, the issue is our hearts. Not the length of time that we've known about Jesus or not how clever we are. Here are the three things. Three things if you're going to be an insider. Number one, you need to make a decision. I will be in with Jesus. I will be in, all in with Jesus. The whole of my life, I will trust to Jesus. I've heard something of what he said, and I trust his word. I trust him when he says he is the truth. I trust him when he says that there is forgiveness. I trust him when he says that he's come to bring the kingdom. I trust him that he is the only one who is coming for us. There is nobody else. I trust him when I... Realize there's something of God about him that's present amongst us, and so I'm willing to believe his word and give my life. You've got to make that decision. You've got to decide that that is what you will do. You will give your life to Jesus Christ. You've got to go in with Jesus. So what would hold you back? What would hold you back from going in with Jesus? Have a look at verse 19. He says, When anybody hears the message of the kingdom and doesn't understand, the evil one snatches what was sown in their heart. This is the, the, the example of the seed that falls on the hard path. 
And he says, that's like those people who don't understand. Now, we need to understand what he means by not understanding. Because this has nothing to do with being clever. It's the kind of thing he's referring to, which he talks about in verse 15, when he talks about the understanding of the heart. This is not about whether you've studied theology. It's not about whether you've got a PhD. The person who's got a PhD is on exactly the same level as the person who left school when they're 14. It's about the understanding of the heart. In fact, one of the things that can keep you from following Jesus Christ, from going in with Jesus, going all in with Jesus, is your mind, your intellect, your cleverness. That's what people do, isn't it? Well, I can't believe all this stuff about Jesus Christ. I can't believe all this stuff about Christianity. I mean, it's like fairy stories, isn't it? It's like believing in unicorns. It's like being, believing in little creatures at the bottom of the garden. It's like believing legends. It's like believing stories. I'm far too sophisticated for that. Do you know that I've got a PhD from Macquarie University? And I'm a Sydney cider. In the 21st century, I don't hang around in the first century when it was full of superstitious nonsense. I'm the beneficiary of 2,000 years of intellectual discovery and inquiry. I am a post-enlightenment person. And you expect me to believe this? Convince me. It's the kind of thing that Richard Dawkins does, isn't it? Essentially, if you take Richard Dawkins, he says, I am very smart, very bright, and this doesn't persuade me. See, your mind can keep you from Jesus. Because here's the issue. What we do is we elevate our mind, and so we end up saying, unless you, God, can justify to me Unless you can meet my criteria, then I am not going to believe. And what does the Bible say? It says, in Jesus Christ, we discover the truth. Not just a series of propositions about Jesus, but in the person of Jesus. We discover the truth, and we discover in Jesus there is a truth beyond anything that we can understand. And the understanding of the heart is the person who says, I don't want to throw my mind out. I want to think as carefully and deeply as I can, but I recognize I've reached the limits. I will not set my mind above Jesus Christ. I will not set my mind above God and judge Him. I will rather bow down and say, I have reached the limits of what I understand, and so I believe in order to understand. It's about humility. It's about recognizing something in Jesus. And even though you've still got all kinds of questions, you say, I'm going to go all in with Jesus because I'm willing to trust him. The first soil, the soil, that the path could be a really apt description of an awful lot of 21st century Sydney ciders. We're very smart, we're very clever, and therefore we're very dismissive, and we think we're superior. And there is something profoundly satanic about that. Do you notice what it says? The evil one comes along and snatches 
the seed that was sown away. There is something profoundly distorted in so much of our thinking. And we need to recognize that our minds are not infallible. So the first thing you've got to do if you want to be a follower of Jesus, the difference between the insiders and the outsiders is that an insider says, I'm all in with Jesus. I'm all in with Jesus. The second thing is, you need to go deep with Jesus. You need to go deep with Jesus. And it's just the second example is the seed that's sown and it falls on rocky ground. So there's some soil there and initially there's this great explosion of growth and it looks so impressive and so wonderful. But the truth is it's, super, it's superficial. And the problem is there's no depth. If you're going to stay the long haul with Jesus, you need to go deep with Jesus because the moment will come and the moments will come where following Jesus is hard and you will want to say, this is too hard. I don't want to do this. And there are times when Jesus will ask you to do things you don't want to do. And you'll say, I don't want to do those things. I don't want to experience that. I want a comfortable life and you're asking me to do that. You want me to change these areas of my life? To give up these things and to adopt these things? I don't want to do that. I was so pleased when I gave my life to Jesus Christ because I was filled with joy and peace and hope and love. And it was amazing and Jesus was wonderful and I thought this was fantastic. But I want you, Jesus, to affirm what I want. And part of following Jesus will mean that there are times when it's hard. And if you're going to survive when it's hard, you need to go deep with Jesus. That's what the rocky soil illustration is about. You've got to go deep with Jesus. You've got to allow him to penetrate to the depths so that you will stick with him forever. Knowing that he will stick with you. Uh, some of us were at a wedding yesterday, which was great, and it was fun, and uh, it, 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 was, it was a fantastic wedding. It was a time of great joy, and I was, I was reminded the best weddings are filled with joy and fun and excitement and possibility, and, and there's a serious side to a wedding as well. There are promises to be made, vows to be exchanged, and that's the thing, isn't it? There's a difference between a wedding and a marriage. Weddings are fun, slightly frivolous, and short. Marriages are supposed to be long, serious, and they can be hard work. That's why there are promises in sickness and in health, in the good times and the bad times, I promise I will be there for you, whatever. And that's hard. One of the questions I always ask, this has nothing to do with the talk. Um, one of the questions I, I always ask married uh, uh, people who come to me who are going to get married, so if you're going to come and see me about a wedding anytime soon, um, this is a question I always ask couples. I say, what are you going to do when you fall in love with somebody else? 
What are you going to do when you fall in love with somebody else? (laughs) You need to go deep with somebody if you are going to stick with them. You need to go deep with Jesus and allow him to go deep with you if you're going to continue with him. You need to go in with Jesus, make the decision that you're going to be in his family. (laughs) You need to go deep with Jesus. And thirdly, you need to go wide with Jesus. Um, I spent some time uh, not too long ago with a guy and uh, had lots of discussions and we read the Bible together and he was really interested and it was really encouraging and and then we had to stop meeting because he was too busy and we talked about meeting up again and we've had the odd meeting since but he's too busy, too many other things. Jesus is important, church is important, Christianity is important, spirituality is important but It's just one of a number of things, and it's crowded out by the other things. That's what the third soil is about. The one that's sown amongst the thorns and the weeds. Because you see, unless you say... I am willing to go wide with Jesus. So he's going to be Lord of my marriage, Lord of my family. He's going to be above everything. He's more important than my career. He's more important than my personal comfort. He is more important than anything else. And and anything and everything, unless you go wide with Jesus, the other stuff will crowd him out. The other stuff will crowd him out. We need to decide that we'll go in with Jesus. I am in with Jesus Christ. I believe in order to understand. I will go deep with Jesus, and I will go wide with Jesus. That's the difference between insiders and outsiders. It's the difference between somebody who's a follower of Jesus Christ and somebody who isn't. A follower of Jesus Christ has said, I'm in. Jesus, I am in with you. And I want to go deep with you. And I want to go wide. What about you? Are you in with Jesus? All in? Are you saying, I want to go deep with you, Jesus? And you never stop saying that, by the way. You're saying, I want to go wide with Jesus. There's a warning in this passage as well as an encouragement. And we need to listen really carefully to the warning. In verse 10, the disciples ask a question, why do you speak in parables? Jesus, why do you just make it all plain? Why do you tell these stories? Because they're, they're great stories and you attract people, but they're actually quite elusive. They're a bit enigmatic Why don't you just talk plainly? And Jesus refers them to Isaiah in the Old Testament to chapter 6. And in chapter 6, the Lord gives Isaiah a commission. And it's amongst the most depressing commissions in the whole of the Old Testament. In fact, in the whole of the Bible, really. uh, Because he says, you're going to have a ministry of failure. (laughs) 
You're going to bring my word to people and they'll be ever hearing but not really responding. They'll be ever seeing but not really seeing. Their hearts are hardened. And even though I've been speaking to them through people like you, Isaiah, over hundreds of years and dealing with them, and they have experienced the most amazing things from me, their hearts are hardened and they are not going to respond to you by and large. I've got lots of admiration for Isaiah because he still goes. But I want you to notice what Jesus says. He says in verse 14, he says, what you see back there in Isaiah 6, the experience of Isaiah, is also a prophecy for the future. And actually, it's about now. In them, that is, those people, including his family, who reject him, in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, that they will be ever hearing, but not understanding, ever seeing, but not really perceiving their hearts hardened, and so they reject. The people of Israel uniquely privileged. They've had prophets and messengers and warnings and encouragement, and God has done amazing things. Until finally, Jesus turns up, and you know, nothing's changed. Their hearts are still hardened. And that's why he quotes from Isaiah. Have a look at verse 15. For this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears, and they've closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. They have persistently turned against God, hardened their hearts. And you see that even in the example of his own family, the people who knew him the best. They are a microcosm of Israel as a whole. Hardened hearts. And so finally, Jesus turns up. God in Jesus turns up. And he speaks in riddles. And he speaks in stories. Why? Because it's a sign of judgment. A sign of judgment. And they need to know that and should know that. The fact that God's ultimate messenger has come in the person of Jesus Christ and he's telling these stories ought to provoke them to respond, but it doesn't. They ought to realize that this is judgment on them and the hardness of their hearts and respond appropriately, but they don't, so many of them. It's a warning. And it's a warning to us. So let me finish with this. If you hear the message of Jesus Christ and say, well, that's really interesting, but, you know, I'd rather read Lord of the Rings. Or fairy stories. Or those ancient stories about the gods of the ancient world. If you're dismissive of it, if that's your response when you hear the message of Jesus. I think this is all make-believe. I'm too, I'm not intellectually convinced. Then that should be a warning to you. A warning to you. 
And what you need to do is to say, I will give up on my intellectual arrogance and I will go in with Jesus. Maybe that's some of us this morning. We hold up our intellects and we're trusting in our education and our cleverness. We need to go in with Jesus. And if you're thinking to yourself, well, you know, I loved it when Jesus did the things I wanted him to do. The way he sorted out my job, the way he sorted out my health, the way he gave me, gave me peace and joy and satisfaction, all those kinds of things, it's fantastic, but now it's just too costly. It's too hard. It's not worth it. If that's how you're responding to Jesus Christ, then that should be a warning to you and a warning that you need to go deep with Jesus. Go deep. And if you're thinking, you know, there are so many things in life. I am so busy with my work and with my family and my career and we're just keeping the show on the road and you know, Jesus is important, but he's not that important. And so he becomes marginalized. If that's what's happening in your life, then that should be a warning to you. And you need to go wide with Jesus. So which are you? Do you need to go in with Jesus because you've been holding back? Do you need to go deep with Jesus? Do you need to go wide with Jesus? And for all of us, at some time or other, it's probably all of them. Well, here's the encouragement. You notice there are four soils. There's the path. There's the stony, rocky ground. There's the seed that falls amongst the weeds and the thorns. And then there's the good soil. And notice in verse 23, there are results. A hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold. Here's the encouragement. Anybody who says, Jesus, I'm in with you. There are lots of things I don't understand and I struggle with, but I'm in with you. To the person who says, I want to go deep with Jesus, that's a bit scary because I don't quite know where that's going to lead and maybe times are hard at the moment, but I want to go deep with Jesus. I I want it to penetrate to the depths of, of my experience and who I am. And to the person who says, I want to go wide with Jesus every area of life, Jesus is saying God will respond. The responses that you see will vary. Some 100, some 60, some 30. But they're all significant, as we'll see next week. Even those those things that don't look so much, it turns out are much more than they seem. So there's the encouragement. If you're willing to go in with Jesus, if you're willing to go deep with Jesus, if you're willing to go wide with Jesus, he says, your family, you're in. What do you need to do this morning? Anything? Let's pray. Father, we pray that you will help us to be people who hear your message with understanding in our hearts so that we respond. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.